Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. Today, we're talking with Carlene Haylett, the CEO of Sturvet, which is focused on providing childcare options for working parents and caregivers. And welcome to the show, Carlene. Hi. Thank you for having me. Grateful to be here. Well, so let's start by talking a little bit about your background and how you got into the space. And I'm curious, why did you call your company Sit a Bit? Yeah, well, great. My favorite topic, me, right? <laughs> um, well, I think the, the best place to start is first and foremost, I'm a mother of the world's greatest, most fantastic, smartest, most handsome nine-year-old on the planet, um, and naturally, and uh, the I'm also a single parent, so Sidibit is really born from you know, nine years of a problem that I have dealt with um, and parents that are in my network um, have dealt with. And and um, I don't have a, uh, a nuclear family where I am here in Boston. And so from the very, very beginning have, um, because I'm quite a bit of a type A person, have meticulously crafted this labyrinth of support system, babysitters, daycare, school, transportation, um, and those things, which is, as a parent, you know, is extremely fragile, right? A strong wind and it all sort of falls apart. So um, this is, I am ultimately with this company solving a problem that I've, um, has been a stick in my own eye for nine years um, and and just really got to the point that my son was old enough and I was in a position that enough was enough and I was going to do something about it. So, um, you know, personally, that's how I got here. Professionally, I have worked in enterprise technology for 20 some odd years, um, focused on what I call the plumbing, right? So deep in the weeds, complicated um, technology around things like how do we get work done using technologies, integrations and process automation, um, you know, and of late the last, you know, 10 or so years, how do we take advantage of um, emerging technologies like decisioning or machine learning, AI, robotics, things like that to make um, getting things done frictionless, right? Easier um, as as customers, you know, have more choices to sort of move around and take their business where they were. So focused primarily in healthcare on the provider side, as well as um, more recently in the um, uh, uh, insurance, working with large customers on how they sort of optimize their processes that they engage customers on. Um, and so, you know, Cinebit really is the culmination or the, the crossroads of those two things, right? I had this problem that I couldn't stand dealing with anymore, right? And I knew that um, knowing what I know about technology is that these tools and capabilities were available to us and it wasn't available in the market. And, you know, I, I knew that there was an option for on-demand 
care um, that would help me balance work and childcare, right? That that wasn't available in the market. And then you asked about the name, so you know, Sidibit really is sort of tongue in cheek. Is the notion is, you know, I'm a parent and I need to go on a a call and I need to engage my child in a way that is over and above tossing an iPad at him and telling him to go watch gamer videos, right? Um, and but I only needed it in a bite-sized capacity, right? I needed somebody to sit with my kid for a bit. And so there we have it. <laughs>this history. So how long has it been since you started on the journey of the building the company? Yeah. So like I said, initially nine years ago when my son Fletcher was born, um, it's been a journey of sort of investigation, market research, um, those types of things, formulating the business model. Um, we were officially incorporated as a company in uh, the second week of February of 2020. Oh, wow. Uh, Good timing. Yeah, yeah right. And, you know, I, I, I have a, uh, you know, a, a moral dilemma over the pandemic in that it was a absolutely worst time to start um, a startup company. But in fact, um, the problem that we were solving became acutely urgent at that very moment. Um, and so it, it's been quite positive for us. So, so let's talk about that. So you started the company right as the pandemic was starting. The schools mm -hmm. were, you know, quickly trying to figure out what school looked like. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of us, most of us still have their children at home a year later. And um, when, when we think about the pandemic and we think about sort of post-pandemic, how, how does, you know, this works? So Sidibit says on their website that you guys are changing the way families access on demand on-demand, short-term child care, virtually or in person, um, which I'm assuming somehow means that there's an interaction. So mm -hmm. tell us how the service works and how it's different than the many other virtual sort of learning demand on uh, demand apps that are out there. Yeah, good question. So let's take the virtual component first. Um, so certainly now um, there's, because of what you describe, uh, it's getting better now that the, the in-person option just simply isn't available or Ill available in limited capacity. And that will continue, um, you know, likely not at the levels that it is today, but I think a couple of things that are happening, not only in childcare, but in general, is there's this sort of awakening that's happening where folks, um, as a result of the pandemic, are are embracing this fact that, hey, guess what? Virtual does in fact work for a lot of things. You know, we see companies like Ford just announcing, you know, 200,000, 300,000 employees will, will have the option for remote, you know, forever. Many companies are adopting remote first workforces, right? Um, and so folks are realizing that in this particular space, well, wait a second, you mean as a parent, I don't necessarily need to be leaving work early, rushing around in, in, in rush hour traffic, all stressed out to get my, my child to an in-person, say, language tutoring or math tutoring or, you know, um, arts or music class that 
virtual delivery of those types of activities are in fact valuable and in some cases provide ancillary benefits to the family that you know we overlooked in the past right um you know being being not having to be a parent and sit in the parking lot in your car and try to you know take a meeting or something right um and it's our firm belief that and 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 certainly hope that that perspective continues nobody wants to be is sitting in in rush hour traffic um things like sports and things that require in person will um continue to be in that fashion but adopting and retaining this sort of virtual component um i, I think is is a is a positive outcome of what we've seen in the um from the pandemic and that will continue so that's the virtual piece now the in person piece again um you know some of those can be replaced um in just as good a capacity if not better virtually but part of where we started was also a component of our business model that um brought to market what we called kid lounges right so these are um physical locations in areas uh, that would allow parents to use technology an app or a website or whatever to literally dial up in the moment um, a center where they could book and manage drop-off care for a couple of hours so imagine um, an outdoor shopping facility it has a grocery store restaurants um, shopping you know health uh, facilities and i want to go to the grocery store by myself and not come out with four packs of Oreos, right? Um, I want to be able to have a cool place that my kid loves, that I can very quickly dial it up in the moment, book it, all the security, real-time video, all of those things, access in and out are handled by a technology platform, drive by, drop them off, go to the grocery store, and then pick them up. Um, and so that's sort of the vision that we have, and evolving from that is the the SaaS sort of model where you know this gets into all of the things that are um, challenging about traditional childcare centers is that capacity for on-demand short-term care doesn't exist in that market right and um, for a lot of reasons they are unable to build the technology in order to offer that to their client base. So we would um, we would look to partner with those traditional care centers so that they can offer on-demand drop-off care at their centers. Um, because the market, that market in and of itself is frankly decimated. I, I, I'm scared for that particular sector of the market going forward. Let's go back a little bit, Carlene, on something that, that you were talking about um, in, in terms of what got you started um, on, on the journey of wanting to do something. You mentioned about having to balance between care and work, which I think all three of us sitting here could probably resonate. Um, something, something that I also picked up recently from a KBMG report that said that for culture reason, whatever reason it is, that um, 
a lot of the executives are now back paddling and saying that they actually want their employees back at work. Um, yeah. Very little of them are planning to have them working remotely. And I think we can hear that uh, from Google as well as other big employers that says, uh, yeah, hold on a minute, you're all coming back. With that being said, um, what you were talking about earlier um, in terms of uh, a working parent having to balance all of this, how do you work to help companies support these employees then, regardless of um, you know, not they're bringing them back to the office or they're letting them work remote? Um, in terms yeah. of using a childcare benefit perspective, what does that look like and what kind of companies are supporting these types of benefits? Yeah, um, really, really good question. And I think, you know, companies, when we talk to HR executives, the 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 issue itself is the solution that we bring to market. And it's unbelievably complicated. And my heart goes out to that group of folks trying to figure it out. Um, and I think, you know, also you, you cite research. I think in contrast to that, a lot of reports from, you know, the big the big folks like, you know, the McKinsey's and PwC's and stuff are finding that upwards towards 90 to 95 percent of employees are saying that they don't necessarily want to go back to the office. And, um, you know, as we've seen, there's a tremendous amount and growing very, very quickly of um, employees who are leaving their current employers. I think, you know, the number now around women is about 5.4 million in the last year who have either been forced from a job or chosen to leave job um, because of the lack of flexibility in childcare benefits. So in, in my perspective, it's more of a you know, a seller's market at this juncture, the employees are really standing up and, and taking a stand. And then you add into it, if you look at statistics from like the, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the, the highest demographic of workers joining the workforce are these independent workers and, and gig workers who aren't, um, who aren't in need of traditional childcare uh, full-time and are not going to be going into the office. They need flexibility. So our solution in is an augmentation or extension of childcare benefits that a corporation offers. So, um, you know, offering subsidized uh, access to a daycare center, traditional brick and mortar daycare center is a arrow in the quiver. Offering, offering access to a nanny or sitter matching service is a um, you know arrow in the quiver, as is Sitabit. And what employers and HR organizations are really realizing is it is far from um, a, a one size fits all thing. And if they if organizations wish to alleviate the high costs around attrition and be seen as a valuable employer or a you know, a desired employer to talent, they need to be able to communicate that they understand the individuality of each employee and that they're offering those. So corporations contract with us to provide um, caregiver employees access to this. And what the company um, gains from that is we work uh, exclusively, you had asked us, asked me this before and, and, and I didn't directly answer it, but one of the things that makes 
Cinebit very different is we focus on a very um, specific group of what we call activity partners. So these are companies who are most no, you know, name brands in most cases, but um, like Sylvan Learning Centers or Code Wizard HQ, folks who have um, are known as best in breed providers, and many of them have been providing their curriculum and their content virtually for years, even before um, the pandemic. Code Wizard HQ, for example, has never been an in-person um, code development uh, school. They've always been virtual. Um, and so what makes us different in relation to other marketplaces is because we're very selective on the quality and the, the partners that we bring to the table, parents are assured and corporations are assured that the content that their employees are engaging in is of the highest quality, right? Whereas other offerings in the marketplace um, offer sort of this, you know, sort of open platform where anyone can be a teacher and deliver. And as a parent, for me, while choice is a good thing, that doesn't alleviate my problem of being able to easily manage because it's incumbent upon me to figure out, you know, who is this teacher? Do they have a defined curriculum? Is the content they're going to be providing, you know, of value? Um, you know, is this person, you know, um, capable of delivering what I'm signing up for and paying for? So um, that's part of the value. And then on top of that, we're able to, because we have such close relationship with folks like Sylvan, we're able to build curated content specifically for the organization. So what that does for employees is, um, you know, exclusive content, you know, whether it be, say, a learning pod or an after school. But what it also does is, you know, in situations where employees, families, and their kids are friends, it helps to maintain that connection between, you know, the social aspects of it, where you can't necessarily be with your, the kids can't be together, or they're not in class together, or they're, right? Um, Going, going down that a little bit in terms of, you know, what we've learned this past year, uh, distance learning has taken us all on quite a journey uh, with our children. And I think the, the various formats that have been tried and sort of this cobbling together of education and activities and just, you know, not being able to do sports and not being able to do, you know, after school stuff and just it's it's been it's been a mess. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Um, yeah. So, so while many of our, our children are starting to return to the classroom, and even if it's a few hours a week, uh, there are so many things that I think they've been missing, you know, by not being somewhere in person, sort of mixing that up. But mm -hmm. we've learned a lot about, you know, what works online, too, um, because you can't just put them in front of Roblox for five or six hours a day. Uh, although I'm sure they'd love to do that, um, <laughs> you know, what do you what do you think has been learned in in sort of the collective sense by parents and educators and caregivers during the pandemic? And you know, how has 
your business model sort of changed to reflect upon those learnings? Yeah. Yeah, I go back to the sort of awakening of, wait, virtual does work, right? And it works pretty good in a lot of cases. And, you know, um, the, the, the benefits far extend beyond the fact that just content is being delivered, right? It's the stress that's eliminated from the family as a whole. Um, you know, one of our activity partners, and just as an example, is um, a dance studio out of, uh, geared towards little children out in California. And one of the, um, we're doing a series of content coming up. And, and what they'll talk about is the availability for um, dance and music classes to disabled children, um, folk, kids that have ADHD or um, autism that that don't get to participate um, a lot of times in in person and and how that has had being able to have that access has had such tremendous positive impact on those children because they get to participate and so I think just if I were to boil it down this sort of notion of you know virtual does in fact work right um, there's always been this stigma around having ch children engaged in electronics. Um, and I think when you couple up quality content from quality providers um, and you make it easy for parents to engage, then it's something that should and, and in our estimation will continue. It absolutely is generally making our collective lives better in, in our estimation, in my estimation. And we have the tools to do it right, right? You talk about, you know, cobbling together all of these different pieces, and that's a, a core fundamental piece of our mission is, is that's not helpful for parents, right? Uh, having a different app for a different thing, a different profile, different payment method, different so forth and so on, that's where the, the powerful technology comes in, is, is making it easy for parents to engage um, so that they can balance all of these competing priorities. So let's switch gear a little bit um, and, and look at, you know, for example, um, something that we've learned and has become more apparent uh, in, in the last 12 months with regards to those who have access yeah. and those who do not have access, right? Um, so how do we make sure that benefits like this? Um, not talking about the larger question of the digital divide, I think we, we need a whole lot more than than, if, than startup companies to, to solve that. But benefits such as these, how can we make sure that they can be offered to more families, especially those that um, the frontline workers, right? Those that have to step away from home, those who don't have the benefits, such as the three of us sitting here um, talking about the issue. How, how can we make yeah. it that can be more equitable? Yeah. Well, certainly that um, topic is is far bigger, as you mentioned, than than what we have the power to solve. I think, you know, without getting into a political discussion, this is really um, things like universal childcare and universal access from a government funded perspective. The, the notion that, 
you know, there's this huge separation. There's always been this separation between, you know, what is school and what is childcare when in fact it's, you know, really just part and parcel of the same thing, right? It's children growing, learning and being engaged. Um, and then there's the affordability and availability piece. So, um, and we sort of participate in the availability piece um, initially here as virtual and then, you know, eventually um, in the, you know, the physical locations. But from a company perspective, one of the things um, that we're doing now is in direct response to these absolutely staggering number of uh, employees that are being forced to leave the workforce, particularly women, we have decided to offer our service um, corporate packages to organizations, any organization for free through the entire year to their employees. And for us, from a corporate mission perspective, that's about accessibility, right? How can I get um, as much help to as many families as I possibly can, as fast as I possibly can, right? And um, the way that we view doing that is through the B2B, um, because we have, those organizations have a built-in parent um, population. Right, and so we have the ability to um, get this to as uh, a far greater number of parents than we might in the past. And um, when you look at, you know, some of the larger corporations, they they have the luxury and the money to be able to offer subsidized care to their employees. There's a whole world of companies, smaller organizations, small businesses that don't actually have the funding available for subsidized programs. So we want to be able to bring that to the small businesses. Now, as it relates to, you're right, as it relates to um, underserved communities, particularly where um, uh, workers have to physically be at their location, um, we at we have very little impact over that at the moment until we start to bring these physical kid lounges to those communities. And that is absolutely um, a very large part of our mission as a company is being able to put these where they're needed the most. Um, you know, we, if you look at, nationally childcare, the, the, the guidance from the US government is that families spend, allocate about, you know, $7,000 a year on childcare. Well, the reality is, is that it's about on average $26,000 a year, right? Um, here in Massachusetts, a year of full-time daycare is more than four years of a state college tuition, right? So it is unaffordable for a vast majority, particularly in non-urban areas. So our mission is how can we quickly get to a point working with commercial development organizations to bring these on-demand drop-off care centers to underrepresented and underprivileged communities so that 
that kind of quality care is available. And the irony is, is that, you know, in those communities, the the largest number of, of folks that are impacted by the lack of availability or affordability are women who are working in childcare. Um, so it, it's just this crazy um, situation that existed long before COVID came along and is part of the mission that we plan to execute on in over the years coming year. Well, you know, I, I think that online marketplaces like yours for learning and for activities for children are going to continue after the pandemic. I think that's something that seems to be pretty clear. Um, this, this new normal uh, has impacted so many people, uh, has impacted so many people financially and so many, you know, all of our children have been impacted mm -hmm. by this. So when we, we think about all the businesses that have been impacted um, and affected by this past year, you know, in-person camps, after-school education facilities, test prep centers, it's the new normal for education is going to include much of what you have put together in this marketplace. When we think about all the lessons learned and all the things that we've talked about today and the financial impact of those things and the policy impact of those things, what are you most hopeful for mm. as you look into the future for your business and for the families that you support? Yeah. Yeah, I thought a lot about this last night because um, I knew that you were going to ask. So thank you for giving me a heads up, because for me, this is really more mission driven than business driven. Obviously, we want to build, uh, you know, quickly build a, a very lucrative business that we can expand not only in the United States, but internationally as well, because this is a global problem, right? Um, but, you know, I just, I keep going back to the, the, the pandemic this past year has been a nightmare, absolute nightmare for families uh, with kids and for a lot of you know, and I say that only because that's sort of where my focus is. It's been terrible well beyond that. But that we as a society, as humanity, we don't in our rush to get back to normal, right, because of pandemic fatigue, that we don't lose sight of all of the learnings, the good things that have come out of this. And that that's really my hope. And it's not driven more around the success, you know, it's not really driven from, you know, my, my company, although it is my company being successful, but really there's a lot of good things that we've all learned, right? The fact that, you know, having dinner every night with your family or not sitting in a two hour commute every day. Um, I just, I'm, I'm hopeful that we don't in our rush to get back to normal because we're all tired of being cooped up in the house, that we don't lose sight of, of the benefits that really have come out of the past year. Um, I, I know, you know, as a parent, to give you an example, I am far more patient now uh, than I was a year ago because I've got a nine-year-old here that uh, I've, I've really had to watch how I interact with him you know, in, in patience and how I engage with him because he didn't ask for this either. Right. And so um, I personally have really grown in, you know, my compassion and the, the, the slowness in which I respond 
and and I hope that we we all as a humanity don't lose sight of those positive things. So there you have it. I like to end on a positive note, um, and you know I I think we all do see a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next time.